Well, let's clap our hands to the one who pours out his spirit. He is the one who pours it out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everyone. I want the Urshan community to know that my generation believes in your generation. And to even take it a step further, it is my prayer, desire, and my energy to make sure that the ceiling of my generation becomes the floor of your generation. And this conference is about celebrating the call, celebrating the product of Urshan College and UGST. And to that end, I turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Thank you, Brother Bongado. Thank you, Brother Kalthar, for a certain sound. And I'm inspired. <laughs> I'm excited about where God has situated us in the church. Despite calamity all around as well, presented by Dr. Kalthar, this is the greatest hour for the church of the living God. And God did not want the apostles of the Lamb in the 21st century. He wanted you here. Turn to somebody and say, he wanted you here. Amen. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Before I announce my subject, I would like to just say I give honor to all whom honor is due. In the interest of time. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and my subject on the occasion of the Urshan preaching conference is simply entitled The Double-Edged Sword of Preaching. The Double-Edged Sword of Preaching. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to ask you a question tonight as I trim my message as I know the hour is already growing late. But the question I want to ask you is, to this point in your life, what has been the greatest honor ever bestowed upon you? I have thought about that question, and it did not take me long to answer that question. 
the greatest honor that has ever been given to me is to be called by God to preach his gospel. There is no greater honor in all the world. My pastor's wife taught me when I was very young. She said, if God calls you to be a preacher, never stoop to be a king. As an occupation, a calling, a career, a ministry, preaching provides opportunities that perhaps could never come from anywhere else. Certainly beginning with hearing from God. I'm not sure about a daily basis, but a regular basis. I always worry about people who preface everything they say with God said. The honor of being called presents opportunity to present to an audience of at least one or more what God has shared and spoken to you. To see God do amazing things as a result of what he spoke to you from his word and you delivered and God did something with it remarkably. The travel, the relationships, the mentors and now the mentoring. I'm amazed at how my calling has impacted those that I love the most, my wife and children. All of them engaged in somehow in ministry. Two sons and a son-in-law licensed ministers in our beloved organization. And hopefully, by the grace of God, we have partnered with the Lord to build a congregation of some significance along the way. It's all been the result of the greatest honor, the greatest honor that anyone could ever have. And I say this with great humility, and I say this as many of you will know from your own experience at a great price, but it is a price worth paying. It is a sacrifice worth making. Paul said that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. This is not always possible, but it has been a blessing to me to have been allowed to earn my livelihood in 44 years of full-time ministry. It's really hard to believe, even at the age of 65, when I stop and think, I get paid to do this? By the way, I'm not sure if I'm getting paid for this or not tonight. We'll, we'll, we'll judge that after the sermon. But I get paid to study the Bible? I get paid to pray? <laughs> what a life. I get paid to fast? It makes it more worthwhile. I get paid to read the Bible and other 
noble texts such as Brother Caltharp has shared with us tonight. I get paid to lead, to dream, to scheme, to meditate, to get quiet and hear from God. I get paid to do what God has called me to do and what he has put a love in my heart to do. I actually have the best job in the world when you think about the genius of it. The congregation of volunteers that I serve pay me to put them to work. It's, it's really brilliant. When I was Missouri District Superintendent, and I shared this with Brother Williford, and he probably had some of the same thoughts as I during his tenure. They would give me a monthly stipend. Sometimes I would go to the bank and I would say, you know, I really don't deserve this. But then there were other trips to the bank. <laughs> I would say, you know, this isn't nearly enough. <laughs> Making a career out of preaching is an interesting proposition. God calls you. He gives you a good book, the most powerful book in the world, <laughs> to read, study, memorize, love, build your life on. To hermeneutically explore and homiletically impart. He gives you a lens through which to read his word. And the prescription of that lens is affected in part by your life to date. Your background. Your upbringing. Your theology. Your worldview, Even your perspective of the eschaton. He gave you a vehicle to use in presenting the preaching of his word. It's called a personality. And it always helps if you have at least a little one. <laughs> he gave you a filter to use that helps you figure out what to say and what not to say. And I have to tell you in I have one of my children, Michaela's here tonight. She'll verify the older I get, the thinner my filter becomes. <laughs> he gave you communication skills to hone and develop and continually work on. But the greatest and most amazing thing to me about this high, holy, heavenly calling is that he gave us a gospel to preach that works every time it falls on the hungry and the thirsty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our gospel works. A professor has a textbook. A football coach has a playbook. A symphony conductor has a songbook. A used car sales manager has a blue book. But a preacher handles the book. 
an ancient book that is up to date again as our president's message today the book that we preach has no equal no other book in any library even comes close by comparison this book is in a class all by itself in fact I'm not surprised if you put it on a shelf and every other book around it just burns up because there's nothing like the holy, inspired, anointed, authoritative Word of God. And our mission has called men and women of God according to the prescription of Ephesians 4, 11, 12, and 13 is to equip the saints. That is your job, brother and sisters. Equip the saints. Give them the tools. Inspire them. Challenge them. Motivate them. Share your story with them. Tell your stories to inspire them. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, which is to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, do this, do this until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't think we're quite there yet. We've got some more preaching to do. We've got some more equipping to do. We've got some more inspiring to do. We've got some more challenging to give. The gospel works. Turn to somebody tell them the gospel works. It's not even depending on the skill of the presenter. Jesus said the sower went forth to sow the seed. He just flung it. And depending where it landed, it either took root or it didn't. The gospel that we preached, I have been privileged to preach it on five continents and some 25 nations. I have preached the gospel to sophisticated people in large metropolitan European areas. And I have preached the gospel in primitive jungle villages to people who were illiterate. They did not know how old they were. They hardly had a tooth in their head and had performed shortly before I came ritualistic human sacrifices but I watched as tears came down the king of the tribal people when I told him there is no more sin for sacrifice but the sacrifice that has been made. You don't have to take the life of your innocent children to atone for sin. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he said, when your missionary was preaching to me, I could feel my black heart changing. And he was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the tribal, entire tribal colony was baptized in Jesus' name. We have a gospel that works. It can change any life, anywhere. The writer of Hebrews provides us with an alarming and insightful descriptor concerning the impact of the taught, preached, and or merely read 
Word of God. I'll read it for a variance in another translation. For the word that God speaks is alive and active. It cuts more keenly than any two-edged sword. It strikes through the place where soul and spirit meet to the innermost intimacies of a man's being. It exposed the very thoughts and motives of a man's heart. No creature has any cover from the sight of God. Everything lies naked and exposed before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. How many can testify with me tonight and say it was the preaching of the gospel that saved you. It was the preaching that convicted you. Come on, have you ever run to an altar? Come on, have you ever had to just turn around right now where you are and get on your face because the word was so sharp and it was so quick and it was cutting? I want to tell some young preacher here tonight, male or female, God's given you authority. God's given you power. All of heaven is backing you up. Uh, amen. Don't consider their faces. Uh, don't worry if they got a yes face or a no face. You never know what's going on on the inside of a heart when you're preaching the anointing word of God it has the power to pierce and divide and slice and dice and save and this sword cuts both ways once we are called to preach we begin to learn our craft we study, we pray, we think, we write we listen, we learn, we read some of us, as many of you are tonight, enroll in Christian Bible college and training and perhaps matriculate in higher learning disciplines all for the purpose of increasing our knowledge so we can improve our effectiveness and expand our reach with the Word of God. In 1978, I graduated from ABI. My pastor, who was a, also a faculty member, asked me what I was going to do now that I had graduated from Bible college. This was not a planned conversation. This was a sidebar, unplanned moment with my pastor who had up to this point not expressed much of any interest in my future. I exact, wasn't exactly living under a rock. I was the son of the vice president of the college and was the, pre, was the pre, elected president of my third year class and yet did not seem to, you know, I don't know what he was thinking. I'm going to find my own way. So I just prayed and God sent Brother Ed Lucas, Brother Graham. He sent Ed Lucas to me and asked me what I was going to do after I graduated. And I said, well, I really don't know. He said, well, if you want to evangelize, give me a call. I'll line up some revival. So I didn't know what I was going to do. It's, you know, the month of March and then it's April and then it's May, and it's time to graduate, and, and, you know, nobody's, I'm not exactly a first-round draft choice, and, you know, nobody's calling me, and, and so uh, I, uh, I called up Brother Lucas and told him that I was taking him up on his kind offer, and about 30 days later, little did I know what a friend he was to young preachers, but he had lined me up eight weeks of revivals. Now, if I ever wanted to believe in the doctrine of eternal security, that would have been the moment. Eight weeks of revivals. 
I could go a lifetime on eight weeks of Youth Week revivals. And they were all in the state of Illinois. <laughs> so my pastor takes me aside. Well, you're gonna, you graduated now, and what are you going to do? I, I was excited. I said, well, Brother Lucas told me to call him, and I called him, and he lined me up eight weeks of revivals, and, and starting in February 1st, I'm hitting the ground running. I'm getting married in November. Then we're going into Illinois, and we're going to preach eight weeks of Youth Week revivals. What do you think about that? I was expecting, uh, you're making me proud. boy. I knew you could do it. He looked at me and he said, oh, Stan, I'd hate to see you spread your mediocrity all over the country. I said, well, Pastor, thank you for that ringing endorsement. Eight months removed from Bible college graduation, three months a newlywed when Marlene and I took our 1977 Chevrolet Monte Carlo. We packed everything we owned into the back seat and the trunk, suitcases, precision, fender, base with two necks. Did I mention it had two necks? I wish I would give anything to have that guitar today. My bass amp, a small box of reference and study books, pre-computer days, suitcases. Pastors would want me to run around with them all day, you know, go hospitaling and, you know, go to lunch. And I'd say, sir, with all respect, I, I don't have a plethora of messages. I, I really need to just get to the church about 8 o'clock in the morning and and hopefully the Lord will speak to me by 7 p.m., you know, tonight. And day after day after day, I would go somewhere in the corner of a Sunday school classroom and leave my sweet wife behind, and I would dig, and I would claw, and I would scratch, and I would pull my hair out, and I would agonize, and, and does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, I, I couldn't go into my file and, you know, pull out that great message, you know, where 12 people received the Holy Ghost. And, you know, I, I, I didn't have any resource like that. It was just sheer agony. It was utter catastrophe at times. But 30 years later, after being helped by the Lord to add value in double one congregation and more than triple our current congregation and lead them on a magnificent relocation journey to our present 83-acre campus occupying a 50,000-square-foot worship facility and having been bestowed the great honor and trust of leading various areas of a beloved organization. 30 years later, I came home to visit a friend, a lifelong friend who was dying of cancer, and my paths crossed with my former pastor. who had left our organization. That's why he became my former pastor. We sat down and we drank coffee at my invitation. 
And I finally heard what I wanted to hear him say. After we talked about our disagreements and we discussed things and in fact, he asked me a question and I gave him an answer and, he, and I said, do you know where I learned that? He said, yes, I taught you that. I said, that's right. My pastor taught me that and I've never varied from what my pastor taught me. My pastor varied from what my pastor taught me, but his student never varied from what he taught me. And my pastor finally looked at me and he said, well, Stan, I'm glad to see that one of my boys did well. I've not come tonight to pat myself on the back. I've not come to line my pockets, but I'm telling you, if you will get serious about your craft, if you will realize that this sword has two edges, amen, it cuts going in and it cuts going out. God has not just called you to help other people. But guess what's going to happen? While you're helping others, you're the one that's going to be helped most of all. When you're preaching to somebody else, amen, God is trying not only to save them, but he's trying to save you. Amen, you're not a pulpiteer. You're not some, uh, amen, cosmic bellboy that steps up on a pulpit every once in a while and utters uh, an amazing message. But you've got to become the first part taker of the message if it doesn't save you then what good is it I'm preaching to you the two edged sword of preaching our craft is communicating biblical truth our mission is to preach with enough information to inspire change our Purpose is to strengthen and edify and equip and challenge saints to reach for more and bring sinners to a crisis of decision for Jesus Christ. Our operator's manual is the plenary inspired and errant cutting, dividing, piercing word of God. And it works. And the first and most obvious side of preaching is, well, it's the preaching. I love to preach. I enjoy studying. There's not a preacher here that doesn't enjoy a revelation. And every time I get one, I think I'm the only one that's ever thought of this. <laughs> I had a sweet lady in our church text me. She said, Pastor, I got the greatest revelation about the folded napkin. When Jesus resurrected, the napkin was folded. It means that he's coming back. And I'm thinking, lady, I preached this 25 years ago. You were sitting out there. Welcome to my world. <laughs> you know what it's like to have that burning. Like Jeremiah said, a fire shut up in my bones. Anybody ever experienced sermon regret? I frequently get doses of that before I preach and then after I preach. Monday morning blues when you rehearse what you woulda, coulda, shoulda said that you didn't say or you woulda, coulda, should not have said that you said. People who think that preachers don't have real jobs have no idea what we go through and how we live. Message in and message out, Bible studies and preparing short devotions and Sunday school classes and one-on-one -on -one Bible studies and small group leading and facilitating and disciple-making encounters and even 
the considerable thought that goes into a two-minute Sunday morning offering message to bring validation and inspire faithfulness. What we do is not easy. But the good news is we can always get better. Cheer up. It's going to get better. I've never one time despaired of growing old in the ministry. I've always felt like time was on my side and with age and seasoning and experience and troubles and trials and tests and challenges and opportunities and tears and victories and defeats and walking with God and, and somebody getting saved and two backsliding and, and trying to make a difference. I felt like, forgive the metaphor, that I was like a fine wine, even though I've never tasted it. But I heard it gets better with age. My father-in-law, a mighty man of God and a prophet, used to say to me, Son, the young preacher doesn't even have much to say until he turns 27. Now, this is when I was 23. <laughs> and then he's got to wait till he's about 41 to do his best preaching. And then he'll do his best preaching until about 65. Well, unfortunately, my father-in-law passed away when I was 26. He never did get to hear anything good. But he always encouraged me. He always had a kind, good word. So the first and most obvious side of preaching is the preaching. But I want to ask you a question tonight. What is that other side if you're going to spend a lifetime doing it? You want to wake up in 30 years and realize there was another side. You thought it was all about the camp meetings and the notches in your belt and the conferences you're preaching and all the people you told to go this way and go that way and you didn't go anyway and to become an absent-minded preacher who didn't take it to heart that you had to become the first fruit of everything that you're presenting. When does the log become the fire? When does the mist become the rain? When does the caterpillar become the butterfly? When does the preacher become the message? You see... The whole time you're working on your craft. The whole time you're working on your calling. The whole time you're working on developing and perfecting what God has called you to do. And you're figuring out more effective ways. You may think you're just working on the preaching. But while you're working on the preaching, the preaching should be working on you. Here's how Philippians says it. Paul said, 3.12, not as though I had already attained or I was already perfect, but I'm still following after. If that I may apprehend that for which also 
I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Perhaps Paul was saying something like this. Something got a hold of me. And I'm doing my best to get a hold of that thing that got a hold of me. And I want to tell you when you're preaching this book, it's sort of like a dad walking his three-year-old daughter across a busy four-lane road. And he's got a hold of her hand and she's thinking, oh, I got a strong hold on my daddy's hand. There's cars and there's bicycles and, and I've, I've got a strong hold on my daddy's hand and I'm going to make it. Let me tell you something, baby. I got a lot bigger hold on you than you got on me. And I want to tell some young preacher here today, it's not up to you to save the world all by yourself. All of heaven stands behind you. The word of God stands behind you. The angels of the heavenly host stand behind you. The power of the Holy Spirit stands behind you. It's not how big of a hole you've got on God, but how big of a hole does God have on you? After he had preached for 30 years and wrote half of the New Testament, Paul said, I'm still trying to get my arms wrapped around the thing. I don't want to just become a preacher, but I want the preacher to become me. Let me tell you who doesn't understand this. Preachers that fall into sin don't get this. Paul said, I keep under my body Philippians, 1 Corinthians 9.27, president preached it. I keep under my body. That literally means I'm boxing myself in the face. I'm giving myself black eyes to keep my nasty, stinking flesh under control. So that when I preach to others, I myself would become disqualified. You see, there we are, dutifully and faithfully, using the pulpit to pull people out of the pit and dragging them and hauling them and carrying them and persuading them to the altar, to commitment, to sacrifice, to be more, to reach for more. But all the while, I'm doing that. Word of God, if I won't just be a pulpiteer, if I won't just try to have the right word to spin a story and move a crowd, but if I let the word of God cut the other way. You see, the Old Testament priest didn't just go one time a year into the, ta into the temple or the tabernacle. He went twice. The first time was not for the congregation. That was the second time. The first time was to save his own hide. 
The first time was to get his own heart right with God. And any time we step to preach the word of God and we have not lived it and we have not wept over it and we have not cried and sacrificed and said, but for the grace of God, there go I. Do not ever stand in front of the people with just a one edge on your sword. This is just for you. Remember when you're pointing your finger and exhorting people, there's three fingers that are pointing back at you and saying, you better be the first fruits of this. You better better hit the altar first. You better have conviction in your heart because if you don't have conviction, there's not going to be conviction. And if you don't have holiness, there's not going to be any holiness. And if you don't love truth, there's not going to be any love for truth. When Paul said, when he talked about Fearing becoming disqualified. He's employing the imagery of a race. In the race of Paul's day, there was the herald and the runners. Apparently, Paul is declaring himself in both roles. The first role is the herald, the announcer. He summons the runners by name, he prescribes the conditions. He declares the rules and qualifications and disqualifications. And finally, he announces the prize for the winner. But then Paul appears to also situate himself uniquely enough as a competitor in the race that he has just prescribed. He boldly and authoritatively declares how the race should be won. But then he comes down from the announcer's stand and he takes his place in the starting block and he subjects himself to all of the declarations and the rules and the announcements. And when the gun goes off, he takes off running. And he says, I press toward the mark. I'm straining with every muscle to obtain the prize. Let me tell you something. The prize is not to preach like Jerry Jones. And what a prize that would be. The prize is not to preach like a Paul Mooney. And what a great model that would be to follow. But they'll be the first ones to tell you that they are not the finish line of preaching. Amen. The finish line of preaching is the man, Christ Jesus. He is the finish line. There's much further to go than the humanity of Stan Gleason. I want to tell you something. I'm not afraid to talk about humanity. I'm not afraid to keep it real. I tell our church all the time, you guys from the Life Church know it. You can examine my life. You can look as closely as you want to. And if you look close enough, you're probably sure to find something that's going to disappoint you. I'm not living in any deep, dark sin. But maybe I eat too much or I play too much golf or I read too many sports pages. And that might offend you. But I'm here to tell you, my friend, after all, when it's all said and done at the end of the day I am not the finish line I'm preaching one who's greater than I I'm not worthy to untie his sandals he's the one that will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire just let's all stand you get it there are two sides 
to preaching. The best preachers don't just point the way, but they know the way. They go the way. They show the way. Johnny James said, Muhammad said, go this way. Confucius said, go that way. But Jesus said, I am the way. The truth. And the life. So, I preached for 10 years. Did I mention I was full-time for 44 years? 10 years. Two years evangelizing. More like a vandalizing. <laughs> I did the best I could. I will say that the highlight was Arthur, Illinois, a church of 50, Gwen and Yvonne Beavis. I preached Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Not a move. God was not within a millennial of that Sunday night pastor's wife got up she was half the size of sister Russell she had an accordion you could not even see her behind the accordion all you saw was and a little Pentecostal bun sticking up over the top And she starts singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, the whole earth is singing, the hope of all ages has come. He's still the King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't even raise your hand if you know that song. All three of you. <laughs> Something started happening in that house. There was eight people there that night that had never been filled with the Holy Ghost. More than 10% of the people that were there. Here, I'm the one that had been preaching my guts out. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, nothing. That little... 85 pound bag of wind <laughs> with a 30 year old accordion she gets up there the Holy Ghost falls I didn't even get to preach my lousy sermon <laughs> and God filled seven with the Holy Ghost that night <laughs> Hey, in a church of a thousand, that'd be a hundred. Oh. But look at Jesus. Wayne Beavis was the editor of the district paper. Guess who had a little article in the next issue? Yeah. That's how good God was. We got this no-name Stan Gleason from St. Paul, Minnesota. His pastor told him not to spread his mediocrity all over the country. 
We had seven filled with the Holy Ghost. I couldn't preach out. I couldn't get out of Illinois for a year, Brother Colthar. God was so good. I preached from northern Chicago all the way down to southern Illinois. You talk about culture shock. Three years youth pastor. Five years pastoring a small family owned and operated congregation. Go ahead and laugh. Oh. I got a PhD in school of hard knocks right there. My heart was always in the right place. I'll say that. Ten years. I resigned. I was empty. I was ready to quit. You know why? I've just been a one-edged sword preacher. I've only been preaching with half a sword. I got empty. I got angry. I got bitter. If you're a called preacher and you ever get bitter, you mark an X on your calendar because that's the day you begin to die. That's what a prayer room I know what it's like to preach the warm blood of Calvary to icy stairs and folded arms. I know what it's like to preach to people that don't even think you're called. They don't even think you're anointed. They don't even know what you're doing in the ministry. I know what it's like to preach in front of a church board that calls a meeting to vote you out and take you out. Yeah, I've been through a few things. So at the end of it all, I'm empty broken I'm going to tell you something I was angry can I tell you it's okay to get angry with God God wants you to keep it real don't be fake with God the word of God will expose all of that you got to keep it real turn to somebody point your finger at him and say you better keep it real with God don't play any games don't play any games with God. Listen, I'm done, but here's what I'm going to tell you. I was in Lone Oak, Arkansas on June the 5th, 1988. A one-edged sword preacher came to the end of myself. My wife and I talked about quitting, getting out of the ministry, getting some real jobs, and raising our kids, Justin and Marissa, in a church somewhere. It was Sunday night, I was in the evangelist quarters, and I was going to have it out with God. I was so mad, I was so empty, I was so, I felt doubly lost, I, I knew what it was like. I've been raised in the church, but I felt like an alcoholic. I felt like a drug addict. But I felt doubly lost because I knew how to get saved. And I wasn't even sure if I wanted to be. Now that's pretty real. And the devil's on this shoulder and he's saying, Oh, let's hear you preach number eight tonight, big boy. Yeah, yeah, you got that one memorized. You go ahead and go out there. Let's see your stuff tonight. I deadbolted the door of the evangelist quarters. This is what happened. God, 
this room until you give me a desire to do it. Because I'm empty and I'm angry. And if I had a skill, if I had a trade, I'd quit right now. But the only thing I know to do is preach. And I don't do that very much. And when I said that, I just fell to the ground. And I began to just weep. Just cry. I was in so much pain. I think I was first crying because I felt sorry for myself. But the weeping shifted. And something came into that little evangelist quarters. And I got my suit and my tie on and I'm on the floor just like this with my Bible. I got my Bible. Somehow my Bible landed up here. And I'm down here. And God had never spoke to me like this before, but in my ear, I heard 1 Corinthians 15.10. What does that say? 1 Corinthians 15.10. Oh. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'd never heard it before. Philippians 2.13. What's, what's, what's that say? What's Philippians 2.13? This is real now. I'm coming to you live right now. I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to give it all up. And Philippians 2.13. It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, I've been cutting for 10 years with one edge. And I didn't realize there was another edge called Grace. There was another edge called God energizing me. I didn't have to make it up. I didn't have to figure it out. I didn't have to create some sort of imagery or some sort of a personality. But grace was working inside of me. I became acquainted with the other side of the edge of preaching. And when you get that, I have never been the same. I walked out of that church that night with two scriptures. I walked into that building that night with two scriptures. I preached like I had never preached. I was anointed like I had never been anointed. Come on. I want to introduce you to the other side of preaching. It's not all about the preparation. It's not all about the linguistics. It's not all about the posturing and the rhetoric. Did it cut you? Did it slice you? Did it get sin out of your life? <laughs> Did it convict you?
just pray. Don't worry about singing right now. Just pray. We don't need a song right now. Just pray. Just let the word get in you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Don't be a pulpiteer. Don't be sucking up to preachers so you can preach at some conference or some youth camp somewhere. Jesus said, if you learn how to pray, the Father who sees you in secret. Just be a one-edged sword preacher. Don't leave Urshan. Only develop 50%. Don't leave Urshan with cool thoughts and great books and close friends. Make sure you leave a full preacher, a double-edged preacher. Come on, after you preach, hit the altar. After you preach, go pray with somebody. Because as you're helping them, it's gonna help you. As you're praying and prophesying over them, it's gonna save you. <laughs> 